Hey, everybody. Okay, this is a bonus episode. This is extra. If 15 minutes of Parsha a week is not enough for you, if you're jonesing for more Parsha, then you, you may know that I teach a weekly Parsha class here at ICAR in Los Angeles every Thursday at noon uh, Pacific time. You're welcome. Um, we've got folks joining us virtually from places as far away as Japan on, on Zoom. And uh, we've been archiving video edits of the classes on YouTube, but we thought we might try cutting down the one-hour class to about 40 minutes for you, for the listeners of the Best Book Ever podcasts that might not be able to fit a midday class on a Thursday into your schedule. So I hope you enjoy listening to these as much as I enjoy teaching them. Um, if you're interested to attend the class from wherever you are in the world in person, then stick around at the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how to register. Um, just like the podcast, it's absolutely free, and we'd love to have you. Thank God for Parshat Shmini. Thank God for Parshat Shmini. Uh, we, we, uh, we're already in desperate need of Parshat Shmini. The third Parsha in uh, the third reading in the book of Leviticus, I think comes as every year as something of a relief because of Le Leviticus, uh, as we've said now twice, because you have to say it when you start Leviticus is so difficult. It's so difficult. So intense it's about animal sacrifice and it's detailed and it's not the narrative seems to have stopped and it's just we're not sure we relate to the mechanism and boy it's all mechanism it's all machinery it's all it's very intense um and it's it's like oh my gosh this is a one-fifth of the torah we're just gonna do this for an entire book of the torah think of everything we accomplished in the book of exodus and now we're just gonna do this ah you know it's it's scary and then comes Parshat Shmini and gives us a little, like a little opening, a little, um, a, a little bit of a of hope that there's there's going to be a lot more going on in this book, uh, a lot more that we can use and deal with. First of all, I should say that here I'm going to close one door. First of all, I should say that um, that there the, the, Parshat Shmini introduces. Um, um, at the end, uh, the whole catalog of, of kosher laws. Um, and that is also a, something of a relief because we start to, to see that we are going to receive laws that are relevant to our lives and practice also. Actually, Vera, if you can find this week's podcast, um, best book ever podcast, uh, I talked about the kosher laws. So that's, that's, Oh, kashrut becomes this major institution in Jewish life. Oh, so Leviticus is starting to get relevant, even though we don't we still don't have a temple standing, even though I'm not a priest. But before that, before we even get to kashrut, um, Parshat Shmini brings back the story. Parshat Shmini brings back the narrative. We, we, we are, if for those of us who love the Torah's narrative, 
we are there it goes in the chat so you can you can listen to this week's episode um for for those who love narrative the Torah's narrative we are relieved to see we're going to get some story and some good intense story um classic Torah storytelling but when I say intense um I mean it um the first story here in the book of Leviticus is a uh, a, a terrifying one. It is um, it is a it is um, a severe um, and 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 scary and and strange story. And in many ways, um, it's set. It's going to set all those things will set the tone for the kind of storytelling that we're going to see here and there in the book of Leviticus, but especially once we get to the book of Numbers, where things just start to get uh, it, dark and terrifying and intense. And I think some of that intensity is, is the sacrificial system that is now the backdrop for whatever narrative is, is going to appear. I mean, think about it. They're building an altar to slaughter animals to bring down the presence of God. Whatever you think about that, it's pretty intense. And so as, you're, we're, as we head into the book of Leviticus, we can smell the smoke and the burning flesh. There's something about Leviticus that has that, that terror, right? That sort of, um, that's, that's, that squeal, that, 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 um, that intensity. So today we are going to look at the great narrative in Parshat Shmini, the great and terrifying narrative of the death of Aaron's two sons, Nadav and Avihu. Okay, so let's let's take a blessing, let's take a breath here, and then we'll we'll head into it. Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech Halam, Asher Kidshanu Mitzvotav Etzivanu Laasok B'divrei Torah. God has granted us the privilege to study Torah, but um, but that privilege is not always, you know, a, 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 it doesn't mean that it's it's always pleasant. Today, I think it will not be pleasant because the scene itself is not pleasant. And because the thing that I want to focus on today is the response, in particular, of, of, of Moshe, Moses' response to this terrifying moment, um, which is almost as um, disturbing as, as the moment itself, just as a, as a kind of piece of, of narrative. So let's... Let's head in, let's take a look. So we're going to, now I say the narrative begins to pop up now again in Parshat Shemini, but the truth is we were building towards it already just at the end of Parshat Tzav, that's last week's Parsha. just at the end of Parshat Tzav, here's a source sheet for you if you want one. Um, we, we, just at the end of Parshat Tzav, we started, it was like Parshat Vayikra, and then Parshat Tzav are all just sacrifices, 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 do it like this, do it like this, what kinds of animals, it repeats the whole list all over again. It's very like, um, it's 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 very it's very priestly code. And then um, just at the end, the last chapter of Parshat Sav, um, we start to read that something's going to happen, and the thing that's going to happen is inauguration day. Inauguration. They're going to inaugurate the altar. They they just at the end of Exodus, they built the the tabernacle, and they're now going to inaugurate the altar and. And in doing so, I say inauguration because it is a little bit like what we think of inauguration. Aaron and the priestly family are going to be officially now appointed the priestly family. Aaron, who is Moses' brother, 
but Moses isn't the priestly family. Aaron is the priestly family, and Aaron's sons um, will also serve as priests. And here, take a look, is how that gets introduced. The eternal, this is back in last week's Parsha. The eternal spoke to Moses saying, Kach et Aaron ve'et banav ito. Take Aaron and, 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 sorry, and with him, with him, his sons, and the vestments and the anointing oil and the bull of uh, the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of matzot, all the things that you'll need and assemble the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So that's like, let's get ready. Something's about to happen. Something's about to happen. And our Parsha opens, they sat by the, there by the tent of meeting for seven days. It's very strange. We could spend time looking at that, but that's technically in last week's Parsha. So we'll, we'll get back to that next year. But our Parsha opens, and so it was then on the eighth day. And think about that as just a Jewish number, right? There are seven days of waiting, a whole week, a Shabbat cycle. And then on the eighth day, the day of circumcision, the day of covenant, right? Then on the eighth day, um, it, the, the priests were brought forward and they began to offer, to make offerings. And this, I'll just give you, this is, this is the, the first offering is described in, in great detail. We're not gonna go through it all, but Aaron offers the first offering and great success, great success. The presence of God comes down from the sky. It all works here. Take a look. This is the very first offering. Aaron brought forth the people's offering. <laughs> And he took the, the um, goat and for the people's offering and slaughtered it. And he brought forth the burnt offering. There's a whole, like he has a catalog of offerings, the meal offering. Um, and they laid all of these things and they, and they did, they elevated all the breasts and the thighs as an elevation. It's all very gory, but okay. Exactly as the eternal, um, as, as Moses had commanded. And Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. It's an incredible thing. And then here it is. Um, this, after, after offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, the offering of well-being, Moses and Aaron went inside the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the kavod of the eternal appeared to all the people. We've looked at this word before in our studies. It's difficult to translate, but it'll be one of our words today. So the, word, the version I'm going to rely on the most is glory. But we could translate kavod. We, we did a whole hour on this. We, kavod could be presence of God, could be like the heavy weight of God, could be the honor, kavod, like kabedita, the honor of God. So that's, think of honor, glory, presence. But I'm going to use glory. The glory of the eternal appeared to all the people. Fire came forth from before the eternal. This is the way God appears uh, in the sacrificial system. Fire comes down, and then you know you did it right, and, and consumes the burnt offering and the fat on, on the altar. And the, all the people saw and shouted and fell on their faces. Great news, great news, great news. It works. God is actually going to be with us here in the desert. And this, these, this family, and who knows, is Moses just nepotism, like appointing his brother to... Uh, what, what, did God really say this? What's going on? Are we really going to offer animals out here in the desert? But it worked. It worked. And all is well until. But let me just pause here. I see my mother has her hand raised.
Right. Okay. M right. My mother wants you to repeat an explanation of what I said before about the seven day period and then the eighth day being this day of inauguration. So it's a good question and it's worth looking at the uh, the original source. I just want to show you this here. We're going to look at the, the the where it says that they waited for seven days because there's something ab about that that's also very very intense but so i'm gonna i'm gonna answer your question but let me just go back and look first and see what i was talking about because i did say that rather quickly and it's like this um okay everybody see this this page here okay so um this is where um parshat shmini starts you can see it oh there it is on the eighth day moses called aaron and his sons and the elders of israel right and um he ha God had commanded um, through Moses, um, Moses had said, you shall remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days. Seven days. Keep and what are they doing there? What are they doing? They're just waiting. Everything done today has been commanded to be done for seven days. Just waiting. Your ordination will require seven days. You shall not go outside the, the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until your period of ordination is completed for your ordination will require seven days. So, okay, so just to answer my mother's question, I want to just repeat that seven days is the Jewish week, seven day cycle to Shabbat. But sometimes we play with that number and add one for eight and then it becomes an extra. And in circumcision, in circumcision, that happens on the eighth day. And so sometimes we wonder, oh, seven days for creation and then an eighth day for covenant, the, the covenant, okay? So that's, who knows, that's like, that's the, the symbolism to play with, who knows exactly what it means, but, I'm gonna stop signing, um, but uh, the, it, it means that my mother highlights for us the way that they sat there as a priestly family, Aaron and his sons sat in the tent of meeting for seven days, just sat there and they prepared. And that was the part of the process. Seven days they waited and now it's the eighth day and they come out. So the intensity is even stronger. They come out and they make this offering and everything goes well. Okay, now, th now comes the, the tragedy. Now comes the the, the horror, um, because all of a sudden, and there's so much strangeness in this, we really will not be able to, to cover it all, but all of a sudden, Aaron's two sons come forward. And this is, this is really where the narrative gets uh, um, uh, thick and juicy, because even from the naming of Aaron's two sons, you feel like, uh-oh, the Torah is back. The Torah is playing with us again. Because this isn't just a narrative like, and then they brought the offering and God appeared. This is like, the names are starting to get a little like grab our attention. So let's take a look here. Nadav and Avihu are the names. Um, hold on, I have to change my screen first. Okay. Okay, let's try this again. I'm gonna cancel this. Okay, so... Here we are. Aaron brought forward the people's offerings, brought the goat. Okay, we saw this. And we saw the glory of God appear and all the people fell in their faces. Hooray! And then now, Aaron's sons, Nadav and Avihu. Nadav 
and Avihu. Okay, now, what do these names mean? The word Nadav means gift. The word Avihu means he is my father. My father, he is my father. Okay, so I, you know, we, we, if we had more time, we'd just play with that for a while, but suffice to say, the two names together are like my father's gift. My father's gift. It's like already, given what's about to happen, that's, that's haunting. Okay, so these two uh, young men, uh, they are, you know, of age. They come and each took his fire pan and put fire in it and laid incense on it. And they offered a strange fire. This is the big phrase. This is the big word that everybody's always trying to figure out. Eish zara, a strange fire, a strange fire. Okay, what is that strange fire? We are not going to, we're not going to deal with that today. I mean, I want you to know it and see it's there, but we could spend our whole hour and, and, and should spend our whole hour just trying to figure out what was the strangeness of this fire. Lots of theories, anything ranging from, oh, they were drunk while they did it, and so it was strange, or their attitude was strange, to there's something about the offering itself which was poisonous, which was wrong, which was not, and, and that actually in some ways is the, what the Torah itself most easily indicates because the Torah says a strange fire, a strange fire, asher lotzivautam, which had not been commanded upon them. So it seems like on some basic level, what they did was that they took, they, they decided of their own volition, hey, we got an offering for you, right? All of a sudden they, they made, the offerings are very orderly, one after another, everything following a perfect script. And these two young men just rush forward and they're like, we put out, ta-da, wow, look at this, explosion fireworks. And uh, that, that's, so what's the strange fire? Who knows? But it wasn't commanded to them. And then, and then, and fire came forth from the eternal and consumed them. Thus they died. This is not, I don't like this translation at the instance of the eternal. Thus they died before the eternal. Lifne um, Hashem. Before or in the face of. Lifne literally means in the face of. So thus they died before the eternal. Okay. So that's it. And note, by the way, and a fire went forth and consumed them just as a fire had gone forth and consumed the offerings. It's like the same thing happened. The same mechanism was employed. Once again, the fire comes down, but this time, instead of consuming the offering, it consumes Nadav and Avihu. They're dead, in incinerated, you know, just like torched. Although they do carry their bodies out. So I guess not incinerated completely, but just dead, consumed. Okay. That's just, uh, it's a horror. It's a horror. And, you know, I don't expect we'll leave this class feeling resolved because this is just a disturbing episode. And, uh, um, and, and Aaron, responds, I think, with great, um, with the great phrase, Aron, and Aaron was silent. Aaron's response is appropriate. Uh, Moses's response is, is actually what I want to look at today. Moses's response then is very, very strange, very, very strange indeed. And I, 
I, you know, I just like the horror of God just, or did God, is it, did God do this on purpose? So what is even going on here? There's so much to say here, but I need to leave it in the background. If we're going to do any work in the background, meaning of course it'll form inform our conversation, but if we're going to do any real work on there's too much here, we have to focus our lens. And I want to focus it on the next verse, the verse where Moses goes over to Aaron and says the following strangest thing. And I must say, and I said this in the, in the Facebook post, his bedside manner here leaves, leaves, leaves quite, a, quite, a, quite a bit to be desired, okay? That at least uh, I will say about this, um, this reflection that Moses gives. So let's take a look here and then we'll, and then we'll begin to open up the conversation. So, um, uh, so they died. Thus they died, and then immediately could have waited a beat maybe, but then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the eternal spoke about. This is what God was talking about. This is what God said. Saying, and here's, here's the, it's almost like poetry, and they, the, the, the book I, I have breaks it up like poetry. Bikrovai ekadesh. Through those close to me, I will be sanctified. Bikrovai, through my close ones, I will become holy. Bikrovai ekadesh, va'alpnei kol ha'am ekaveh. And before all the people, I will be glorified. Now, that's the same word as the, the glory of God, the kavod of God. I will be, now it's, now it's a, a verb in the, in the, I guess, passive. Is that, yeah. I will be glorified. Okay, and then the the heavy the the ponderous phrase of air of of an Aaron was silent. And I cannot help but feel that Aaron is silent because, you know, for all of the reasons, for all of the reasons, but in part because, what what are you supposed to say to that? What is Moses saying? What, what, can, what kind of brotherly comfort is this? What is Moses talking about? Through those who are close to me, I become sanctified. And before all the people, I am then glorified or I am glorified. And Okay, so we have three questions now, which will occupy the rest of our time. One, when did God say this? Moses seems to say, this is what God was talking about. When was God talking about this? I, never, don't, know what, I don't know where this is. A, this seems to be a reference. Who asher diber Hashem? That's a very specific way of speaking. This is what God was talking about. So we should have some record of that. That's, that's, that's one question. The main question, of course, is like, what does it mean? What are you talking about? Through the close ones, is that these two boys? I mean... And I will be holy and everybody, I'll be glorified. Like it's all very lofty, but sort of elusive language. I, and then I will be glorified before all the people. Um, and then I guess, you know, along the way, we can also ask the question, is this, was, was this meant to be comforting? Is it comforting? What is the message here? What is Moses trying to teach Aaron or us? Or what is the Torah trying to teach us in this moment? Okay, so... I see Matt um, has a hand up. I want to offer a question to the whole group. Okay, but now I want to be, so Matt's already beginning that, that investigation, but the investigation I, I, want, I want to encourage at first is just along the lines of what it might mean 
that through my close ones, through those, those that come close to me, I am sanctified. And before the whole people, I, I, I will be glorified. Let me just put that on screen one more time. Um, through those close to me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. This is what the eternal spoke about. When did the eternal spoke about that? Speak about that. But okay, what does it mean? Any reads on what Moses is trying to say here? Any, any thoughts on that? It's okay if there are none because it isn't so clear. Yeah, I am. Give it a shot. Don't shirk your duties. I mean, he's almost saying, by saying that, he's almost saying the opposite. That if you don't do it the right way, you unsanctify it and you take away the glory. And by doing it that way, you get the wrath of God. You know, mm -hmm. like his thing is the Aaron's like shaking Aaron and saying, look, this is what happens if you do it the wrong way. We've only been thinking of this in a positive context of only good things happen. Okay. There is a negative aspect to this, and the negative aspect of this is you get nuked. Okay, that's good. That's a great, great reading. Uh, Payam's actually, I think, uh, Payam's interpretation here lends a particular reading to the verse. That is, this is Moses saying what was obvious just by looking at the Torah, which is that the problem here was that this is not commanded. And Moses is just saying, look, uh, this is what God was talking about. I, I, I give commands, you follow them, it works. You don't, it doesn't work. Like I only am sanctified through my commandments. And in that sense, we might read bikrovai, those who are close to me could also be bikrovai, the ones that I have brought close to me. The ones that I have dictated or commanded, that's the way it works. But like, if you just, you just decide you have an offering, that's not the way it works. And so you see what has happened. So Moses is not really offering comfort, but Moses is explaining, oh, this is what's happened here. Moses is just explaining what's happened. There's been a malfunction and you're not allowed to do this. All right, let's, let's keep going uh, a little bit here. Uh, Leah Matsui. Okay, all right, let's take a couple more thoughts before I want to take us into a little bit of a, a tour through the through the the classic commentators who all have different takes on this on this on this on this advice. But let's uh, turn first to Jen. Okay, I am never going to swerve from the interpretation that has been adopted amongst the queer movement, and that actually has existed for like a thousand years in Jewish thought as sort of like an alternative thought that actually nothing is being said here about them doing anything wrong, mm -hmm. that they were consumed the way that a sacrifice is consumed, that they were the first sacrifice, that their fervor and them going off the rails actually was something that caused them to be brought up to God before anyone else and in a more profound way than anyone else. And that actually what Moses is saying is that's the thing that happened. Um, and there's nothing in those words, actually, that says that was bad. Yeah. Um, and, and there are, you know, commentators going back a thousand years who agree with that. They're just the minority commentators. Uh, okay, perfect. Thank you. Exactly right. I, I want to head there next. But say, Jen, do us a favor and, and say why, why you frame that as, an, uh, as a kind of a revived by, 
by by a queer perspective? What, what's yeah. the connection there? I mean, some of it goes back to the idea of strange fire, right? And strangeness and queerness kind of having a connection. But the idea that our way, like approaching God as us and as the difference that we are and in a different way, because we've been othered, um, actually is something that can be holy and sacred while it's not understood or interpreted that way by like the rest of our people. Um, so the position of Nadav and Avihu in Jewish thought as the bad ones is also what it feels like to be queer. Ah, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Okay, excellent, excellent. Such a such an important reading, not just with the like with the levels of depth that, that Jen was offering us, Kalvachomer, but like just to frame an, another side of this debate as uh, as uh, this this interpretive debate as th this was this wasn't a uh, punishment. These are the closest closest ones to God, and God. This uh, yes, of course, we're 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 sad, you know, to see death. But these are they became the holiest of all. They are the okay. You offer up some animals, but they offered up themselves, and God loved it. It's terrifying, of course, right? It's terrifying, and we 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 should be very careful. And we anytime we start preaching a religion where death is is holy, but. I mean, on some level, the sacrificial system is creating some kind of holiness out of death. And in this case, um, it's they came forward with such enthusiasm and alacrity that God, they, they offered something that nobody had ever seen before and God was amazed and it was higher. And that, I love to think of that as, a, as, a, as, as revived by, um, by a, like a queer reading of the Torah, because it's also Rashi's reading. Our most classic commentator um, says something very similar. So let's take a look. What I want to do now with you is to do a kind of um, a, a kind of a parshanut one two three. There's a sort of like waltz that is the classic. If you if you parshanut is is the study of the Torah through the lens of the of the classic commentators who are analyzing as we are doing every word and line of the Torah. And the, the big three in Parshanut are Rashi, the Ibn Ezra, and the Ramban. The three most classic commentators are these three medieval commentators. And the first is Rashi, and, he, and Rashi is like the granddaddy. And Rashi is writing in 10th century France. And Rashi says the following thing. So Rashi says, um, this is what the Eternal spoke about. And now, the way the Parshanut works, I must say, is that you always start with a question. You don't, you don't just start talking, oh, I've got to read on this first. You need to say something here doesn't make sense, and I have a response to that. So what's Rashi's question going to be? Rashi's question is going to be the first question, which is, when was God talking about this? Well, when this is what God said. When was So Rashi has an answer to that question, and I don't think it's a particularly good one, but it's 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 sophisticated in the sense that he makes a connection with with the word, the language of the Torah. Where had God spoken this? In Exodus, because in Exodus, back in Exodus, when they were first describing the tabernacle, the priestly offerings, they uh, the the Torah says, "And there I will be met by the children of Israel." And not only met, but actually in a way like I will be known, I will be seen, I will be identified by the by the children of Israel. And um, 
and and they and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And the word for the words for sanctified by my glory is venikdash bichvodi, and I will be sanctified by my glory. And they, those are the two words that we were just trying to figure out up here, sanctified and glory. So Rashi says there was a little linguistic clue or cue already seated so that this is what Moses is referring back to. Are you convinced? I mean, here it is in the in Exodus. You shall offer the other lamb at twilight, repeating it with a meal offering and the morning offering, blah, 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 blah. For there I will meet with you and there I will speak with you and there. I... So this is just the daily offering, but it ends with, and I will be sanctified by my glory. So do you think that that's what Moses is referring back to? I don't know, but that's what Rashi says. And, but he needs to make it refer directly to this. So he says, don't read by my glory, but through, through my glorified ones, I will become glor glorified. I will become holy through my glorified ones, the ones that I glorify, the ones that are glorious themselves. In other words, Nadav and Avihu. Like there's not only a linguistic link, but there's a twist now. I will become that God somehow is hinting, I'll become sanctified through those who, who I, it's those most glorious ones, those most glorious ones, the ones who stepped forward and made their own offering. And then remember what Jen, what Jen said and, and, and listen to the next piece of Rashi here. It, it's both tender and terrifying. Moses here said to Aaron, my brother Aaron, I knew that this house was to be sanctified by those who are intimately known to God. But I thought it would be either through me or through you. Now I see that they are even greater than me and you. Okay. So there, Moses' advice is, well, I don't know. I mean, let's take a step back here and explain it. But yeah, just yeah. that last, just that last part. Oh, we got a phone call sound. Somebody, everybody, check your mutes. Check your mutes. Um, Moses's advice or all, words of consolation here are very much in the spirit of this. I know this is heartbreaking, but these are the greatest ones of all. And I, and and then okay, so then there's a lot, lot more there though. Moses is saying, I knew, I knew one of us was going to die. I knew that one of the ones who was closest to God was going to die, but I figured that would be me. Why is Moses saying that that would happen? And in what way, according to Rashi, does Moses think we should have known all along? It was told to us all along. Okay. All right. So what do you think? What do you think? What, what is Rashi's advice here? I mean, part of it is, yes, these, this wasn't a tragedy. It was a glorious occasion. Celebrate these two, these two, who, these, this gift to God. But um, we should have known this would happen. We should have known. And why should we have known we would have hap it should happen? And what is, what is it that's happening exactly? Why is it that those who are known best to God are the ones that God will destroy or be sanctified through? And it comes to the same thing. Okay, but I want to give you the other piece of the Ibn Ezra. So I, to, for your consideration, perhaps Moses' response was, oh, I heard this already. I just only, only now I'm telling it to you. 
But then the Ebenezer offers us something else which is disturbing in a different way. Um, the Ebenezer says this verse, what Moses is saying, what is it that Moses is saying? He's saying, this verse reminds me of another verse, a very famous verse from the book of Amos or Amos. Um, and it's a very famous verse because it expresses a particular idea in Jewish theology that it's a very difficult idea. What can I tell you? Um, our verse is similar, says the Ebenezer, in meaning to you only have I known. I will be glorified, and then goes on to explain the verse. But what is he talking about? You only have I known. Well, maybe I'll read the rest. I will be glorified when I show my holiness through those who are close to me. I will then be glorified before all the people and they will fear me. Okay, so that's the explanation, but it's similar to this verse in Amos. Now, this is a very famous verse in Amos, but a disturbing one because what Amos says is, um, You alone have I singled out from all the families of the earth. And that is why I will call you to count for all of your sins, for all of your iniquities. It's a very, very harsh verse. You know, you know, you know when you see people teach on this verse is when they're teaching on the concept of chosenness. Because chosenness itself is like a very difficult notion for modern ears. And so there are different ways to conceive of it. And this is one of the, it's like chosenness is not necessarily a gift. Right, that's the, the expression of Amos here is that I've tapped you and therefore I hold you to a higher standard and I punish you more and I take you to task more and I have laws that you have to keep more than anyone else. Now, whether that's a satisfying uh, image of chosenness or not, again, is for another class. But what is the Ibn Ezra saying here about this event? He's saying this, I, what Moses is trying to communicate is this is what happens when you're at the top. This is what happens when you've, when you've been tapped. This is what happens when you're in the inner circle. That when you're, when you're in the inner circle, then all the more so will, are you close to, to death. Anybody wanna take that and run with it? That scary, scary, scary thought and run with it. Ariella? Maybe what they're saying is part of having a covenant with God is that in the closeness of that relationship of the covenant that we, we are held to a standard that the people around us aren't. Right. And, you know, that's what it means to be a Jew. Right, right, right. Right, they used to say in yeshiva, it's hard to be a Jew. It's hard to be a Jew. Right, it's hard to be a Jew. Now, I, I don't want to indulge this too much, this sentiment, you know? I mean, like, oh, the Jews, they have it so hard because we we're, we're better than everyone else and we work harder than them. We are so holy and da-da. But there is some idea in there that, like, this honorable thing that we do, this sacred uh, tradition that we carry and it's sacred indeed and it is a privilege but it's also a burden i mean it's just hard and it's, there's a lot of you know and it also carries with it certain what certain certain cl the closeness to god itself i think we're starting to consider has great glory possible but also great great danger great great danger and that's what part of what it means to be close i see allison wanted to jump in on this allison please 
Um, I want to share a really dark story, but that I think is relevant here. Um, I had a friend in college, a really, really close friend. Um, he used to like run meditation circles and he, he was like a very spiritual person, a very, very beautiful soul, also like physically a beautiful person. Um, and when we were in our, he was so passionate about the world, but also it seemed like things really penetrated him because he was so, because he had such like a strong connection to the divine. And uh, when we were in our mid twenties, uh, he killed himself. Mm. And um, this is making me think of that, that there was something about him that was like, that wanted so badly, like so badly to be close to God. Mm. Um, Yeah. I mean, um, so heavy, what you just said, and, um, and also familiar to me. I mean, I, it's a familiar, I've spent a lot of time, you know, in like religious environment, spiritual study, and like, it is true that one, one archetype in that world is someone who's like, just like seeking something so um, exalted that there's a kind of instability to it and there's a kind of danger to it. And, you know, these are all metaphors. I don't mean to say, and therefore they don't, you know, it's not, it's not a literal, it's not a one-to-one, -one, but that maybe part of what this story is accounting for is people who have a kind of dangerous spirit desire for, for, the, for that spiritual contact. One that could, could actually overwhelm them, annihilate them in ways that this story imagines happening in kind of real time but that can happen in our psyches in our minds in our in our in our nishamas in our souls right mm -hmm. and, and just to say one more thing if, if i may just that not to cut you off i'm so sorry um it's just that like it was really hard for me like as his close friend to process that obviously um and i had like at first like this anger which sort of reminds me of like when i read in my like stone version of the chumash the rabbis are so critical of Nav Navi Nadav and Navihu. Um, and like I had to I had to like I had to forgive him. And I think that's like part of what's so interesting about the different like readings. You know what I mean? That there that there was actually something really beautiful um, in like his desire to to be like really one with the universe. So okay, so um, so we're, we're we're just out of time now, so I, I, I'll, we'll have to end there. I'm sorry, Kathy, um, but um, but I well, you know, I think everybody has time for Kathy. Kathy, quick, quick, quick. Yeah, I, I was actually I have a a specific question, but it leads to a more is it sort of how do Christians read this, you know, and what are different Christian interpretations of it? Because it seems to me that one of the things that's horrifying about this or so terrifying about this, I mean, obviously it's the death, the deaths themselves, but it's also this sense that it brings up that sort of what kind of religion do we have anyway? Sort of what is Judaism? You can't do that in the last 30 seconds. Come on. Well, because- you Kathy, know, come on. No, but you're right. I mean, there's a whole, I was reading this book this week, <laughs> Resurrection and the Restoration of Israel. It's like kind of wild theory by this really brilliant Harvard professor who says that like, no, 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 no. Like the idea that God can like, can bring, like that, that people can die and come back to life and that sacrifice on oneself yeah. will ultimately be 
this is a whole, you know, how do Christians respond? How do Jews respond? How do like the whole, the whole universe of theology around resurrection and team and this kind of, God, this is like, you can't bring that in at the last 30 seconds. You're exactly right. Okay, let me just stop there. But let me just, um, I actually want to offer, uh, I, I, I said that, 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 um, that there was the, a one, two, three here. And we're not going to go through the whole commentary of the Ramban, but there is one more approach. The Ramban here says, and I'll just close with this. Um, we said that Rashi said that, oh, God had, had alluded to this previously. And then we said that the Ibn Ezra said, oh, no, God just told it to me earlier, and I, I'm only now mentioning it. Whereas the Ramban says that there's really, there's really no need for all of this because that's just a way that, that, the, that the Torah speaks. When it says God spoke, it, it, just, it just means this, God has spoken. This refers to God's decrees, God's thought, and the manner of God's ways. And we use the term speaking in reference to all of these, like I spoke with my own heart means I reflected on the matter. In other words, the way he wants to understand that this is what God has, it has said is, oh, oh, so this is what's happening. And it's a very different read because it isn't we should have known all along. And it isn't, I, I knew all along, though you didn't. This one is, wow, we're learning something new here. And it seems that we have learned something about just how close one is able to get to this process without being um, lost. And whichever version of those answers you think is correct by the by the by the by the by the simple reading of the text, or whichever version of those answers that you think uh, is is the best, most comforting, truest advice, um, whichever version um, of of. Okay, that's it. A taste of our weekly Parsha class. Uh, I want to thank everyone who came to the class, some of whose voices you may have heard today, uh, some you didn't because the podcast has been edited. So just want to thank everybody. Um, and speaking of editing, I want to thank also our uh, editor, Vera Blossom, for her great work. If you'd like to join our class sometime and come and, and join our, our circle of, of Torah geeks, you can find us uh, again, Thursdays, 12 p.m. online at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And, uh, and if you go to the calendar, uh, then you can find a Zoom link and just click in. And, um, and in the section uh, on the website uh, that, that uh, we keep our classes, you can, if you click on Parsha Study, you'll find all of our archive classes and source sheets and everything we discussed there. So if you're looking for a regular Parsha class, I'd love to see you. Um, and, uh, and in the meantime, I will talk to you next week. 